from Seattle, Washington. I'm Zach Jabal, and this is a VinePair podcast next round conversation. We're bringing you these conversations in between our regular podcast episodes in order to focus on a range of issues and stories in the drinks world. Today, I'm speaking with Natalie McLean. She's an online wine educator and the host of the Unreserved Wine Talk podcast. Natalie, thanks so much for your time. Hey, Zach. It's great to be here. So let's start a little bit just kind of about you. Um, how did you get interested in wine and, and kind of come to the online space as, as an educator and, and podcaster? I think like a lot of people, I stumbled into it, came in through the back door. There certainly wasn't a, like a wine writing school back when I was uh, looking at this, but I um, was on maternity leave. I worked for a high-tech company. It's now the campus of Google down in Mountain View, California. And I was on mat leave and I needed to keep my brain alive. And so because I was in that high-tech world, I pitched a local magazine, an article on wine and the internet. Uh, Because in the meantime, just before uh, I went on mat leave, I'd taken a sommelier diploma. So I thought I can combine those two and and stay alert. <laughs> and they they took it and it went from there. So that that gave me the confidence to pitch other publications and so on. But I think too, what was really fascinating to me was the intersection between wine and high tech. And so I started early with a website. This is back in the Paleolithic days of the <laughs> internet, Zach. Um, and, uh, you know, mobile apps and that sort of thing in the podcast. Um, but I always like bringing the two together to see what could happen because they're such different worlds. And yet I think they are so complementary. When you were in tech, were people in tech interested in wine? Was it, was there a culture of that at that time? Oh, absolutely. So uh, Mountain View, California, as you may know, is, is about an hour away from Napa and Sonoma. So I didn't work at the head office, but I would go there like more than quarterly. And so I started arranging all of my uh, meetings on Thursdays and Fridays so I could drive up to Napa and Sonoma on the weekend, then fly back Sunday night or Monday. And, you know, I guess for a lot of people who have a very busy job, there isn't time to play golf or do a lot of other things you might like to do, but you are going out to dinner with clients. And so wine is often a part of that. And that's kind of how I picked up my passion. You know, it was, it was something I could fit into kind of a crazy uh, work schedule. You know, people at this company slept under their desks like a lot of high-tech startups. Um, but the wine was definitely a culture, a part of the culture. And more than that, I was kind of an internet evangelist. And so I'd be on these panel discussions with um, often not the founders, uh, but people from companies like Wine.com and uh, Amazon and so on. We were all talking about how the internet can transform all kinds of businesses. So you can see how far back this goes. Yeah. And does it feel like, I mean, my sense of it, and, and, and I'm sure you have uh, uh, you know, your own perspective, is that the wine industry until very, very recently, maybe like literally in the last year more broadly, has kind of resisted the internet uh, mm-hmm. in large part. I mean, I'm sure you as a as an educator and, and podcast host and writer, suffer the same frustrations I do, where it's often very difficult to find in basic information about wine online. And, um, you know, God help you if you're trying to actually like order wine in many places. Um, and, and some of that, you know, has to do with laws that, you know, go well beyond the winery. Uh, but but I'm wondering, you know, this this is an interesting place, I think, to start. And then we'll talk a little more about kind of online classes specifically. But, you know, ha- have you seen a, a recent change in the way that wineries uh, writ large relate to the Internet? 
Absolutely. And I think it's part of the digital Darwinism that uh, Paul Maybray talks about. They've had to adapt, adapt or die. And it, uh, sadly, um, a lot of wineries and, and restaurants, as you know, have had to close due to COVID. But there's also been a lot of resilience. And people have had to get through and past a couple of huge mental blocks like getting used to using the tools, whether it's Zoom or Skype or whatever, um, and realizing that you you can use those tools effectively to connect with your audience, whether they are wine purchasers or your former restaurant customers or, or like educators like me, um, your students who love wine. But yes, to answer your question, um, the wine industry, <laughs> you know, I've been in, I've been writing about wine for 20 years now. And it's, seems to sort of make an inch progress every thousand years, it seems to me. But I think COVID has been an accelerant. Like it's it's almost brought the future forward by about 10 years. And I think in some cases, maybe many cases, that's been a good thing for the wine industry. Very cool. And I, I do want to kind of come back to this idea of COVID as an accelerant and bringing the future closer. But I want to I want to step back for a second and say, you know, or ask you, what pre-COVID, as you saw it, was the sort of landscape for online wine education? You know, what, what broadly speaking, was out there? And was most of it, you know, was most of it, um, I would say print, I mean, not really, but, you know, written material? Was there video content? You know, what, what kind of was the landscape a year ago or so? This is, of course, just my opinion in terms of what I've sure. surveyed. But to me, it's, it was like the early days of the internet itself. People didn't use the the medium for what it could do. Um, the, it was brochureware. So, hey, we've got a textbook. Let's just digitize it. <laughs> and people will, you know, read through it online. And as we all know, reading online is quite a different experience, as is learning online. And so that's mostly what I was seeing, um, apart from just a lot of organizations not taking advantage of online. It was just uncomfortable. They weren't past the, the mental block of using the tools. But for what there was, a lot of it was, as I say, brochureware. It would be just like, let's just put it up there and our students can sort it, sort through it. And was your sense that that the reason the biggest reason for this was that maybe the commonly held conception was that wine was a thing you had to learn in person, that it was not it just was not possible to to learn wine you know, at a distance? Absolutely. Wine is such a sensory topic, as you know, Zach. I mean, it, it engages all of our senses. And, you know, when I first started offering online courses five years ago, it was like, what are you going to do? Text me the wine? I mean, how is this <laughs> going to work? <laughs> Stay with me. This can work because it has a lot of advantages, which we can get to. But yeah, I think that was a huge um, perception that, you know, how are we going to have this shared sensory experience, especially with something that is so communal, so connective uh, in its power to bring people together? But there are ways. And I think people have found those ways, whether they're wineries, wine clubs, educators, and so on. There is a way to still engage all the senses, but you have to use the medium and its advantages, the online medium, correctly for what it brings to the table, so to speak. Well, so let's talk a little bit about those advantages, because I think, you know, we could talk disadvantages, but I think that most people, you know, listening can, <laughs> at this point, pretty well understand what some of the disadvantages are to, you know, being at home, looking at your computer, trying to do something like we've spent 
you know, the better part of a year doing that, most of us. So, but what are some of those advantages over potentially, um, or at least either advantages over in-person classes or ways in which online classes and, and education can offer something that an in-person class can't? Well, I learned this, um, especially over the past year, certainly over the five years I've been teaching uh, wine and food pairing, but over the past year, I've seen a lot more of this. Um, and that is people from very small towns taking advantage of courses because maybe they don't even have a, a wine course offered in their town. People with mobility issues who feel more comfortable at home, those who are just shy. I mean, I totally identify with that as an introvert. It's like, I don't know if I want to sit in a class, a wine class for the first time and be there tasting. I mean, I, I remember my first time at a wine tasting and, you know, the person was droning on at the front and everybody's writing these notes. And I thought, oh my God, what am I doing here? So I just started writing my grocery list. And I remember those feelings of just, I don't know, embarrassment and not knowing what to do. So online offers a, a toe-in, um, you know, to, to get used to what a wine class could be like and that it could be fun and, and not so, you know, socially pretentious and so on. So, and then you have all kinds of other um, cases, depending on who the person is taking the classes. I have couples taking my class as date night. So it's a two for one benefit and it's something they can do together. And it, of course, it's something they can do safely from home, but they don't have to get a sitter. They don't have to find parking and they don't have to necessarily commit to one day or particular day a week because a lot of these online courses um, have a mix of pre-recorded materials and then live tastings. And even if you miss the live tasting, you can watch the recording, which often doesn't or didn't used to happen with in-person classes. Well, I think that's a really good point that you make, which is one of the the real powerful things about online classes is the inherent flexibility that they can offer people. Because, you know, I think of I think of this, you know, from my perspective, sometimes pre-COVID as a wine educator for a restaurant company. And you know, one of the challenges that I had was, you know, even with a with a captive audience of people who worked for the company, you know, it's hard to get people in the same place at the same time. And, mm -hmm. you know, we we're kind of in the process of talking about how to turn some of what I was teaching into multimedia assets. And obviously, you know, COVID put the kibosh on that. But but the it is really true that that even people who we think of as having, you know, a quote unquote normal schedule you know, yeah, their lives have a lot of different dimensions. And and so I, I think you're right that there's definitely something about the, the you know, kind of online format that really can be flexible for people. Absolutely. And, and just to uh, add to your point there, Zach, you know, I used to have a lot of people who traveled for business in my classes because they'd take, they could take the class from the hotel and raid the minibar. <laughs> um, so, it, you know, they were already of the mindset using the tech and being on a laptop and whatever. But now it's it's more, uh, quote unquote, regular folk who are taking the classes. And I think, too, that that whole thing about flexibility, about going at your own pace is one thing. Choosing your own time to consume the content is another thing. But the third important aspect, I think, about online education is it's not one and done. You don't take a course and then you never you probably don't see the instructor again or, or you can't access the instructor with an online course, at least um, the one I offer, and I, I see others doing this for sure, is lifetime access. So that slows the pace of learning down, which is really important for adult learners. We, we're not made, we're not geared to sit for two to three hours on one topic at night, usually after a long day of work. 
you, you can do it sort of snack size. Like all the videos in my course are seven to 10 minutes max um, because you can not only consume them quickly, but you can go back and you can have this sort of layered learning experience of going back and over them again and again. I'm curious too, whether it's in, you know, what you're doing or or maybe some other people doing online classes that you've seen, you know, one of the, I would say kind of uh, potential advantages and disadvantages of online education is that while it does afford for people who might be, uh, you know, in smaller towns or communities or or otherwise sort of unable to participate in an in-person class in a non-COVID time, of course, I do wonder if it's able if you're able to kind of foster community within any kind of live setting. You know, I think one thing that people think about as maybe being part of the fun of theoretically doing an in-person wine class is, you know, obviously they're presumably, well, many of them are going with a partner or friend or group of friends or whatever, but, but that, you know, they might interact with other wine aficionados in person. And is that something that can be captured online in these kind of classes? Mm-hmm. That's a great question, Zach. So two things on that. First, um, what surprised me pre-COVID is that the folks who were registering for my class and taking it together, uh, some of them were having uh, in real life meetups afterwards. They got to know each other and they, of course, had to be within the same region to to do this. But it really um, made me happy that some people connected so well that they started a little in real life tasting groups outside the course. Um, but the course was the connective tissue. But And another thing that some people were doing was using the course, they'd um, take the recordings, invite people over and have a guided tasting. This, this one gentleman, I never thought, you, you never know how you're, what you put out in the world is going to be used. It's just like a book. It's the reader who makes the experience. It's the student who really co-creates with you often. And that is, um, he would take a module, just like a 10-minute module, say, on pairing wine and cheese. And he streamed it up to his television. And he invited seven or eight friends over and they would stop and start the video. So my talking head was on top of his dresser or whatever it was. And they they listened. They would taste. They already had the wines. And they would talk about what the module was. And they found it a really fun way. Um, and, of course, that was a, a seven-for-one benefit. <laughs> he was yeah. the only one who registered for the course. And I am totally good with that because I think that's a great way to do it. But to your point, I mean, there is something about being in person that cannot be replaced online you know, where all the senses and the eye contact, even the smell, not just of the wine, but other people, there, there's a lot going on in person that cannot be replaced online. So in light of that, you know, a thing that I've heard in talking to people, and, and, and this is both online, people who provide online educational content, but also the kinds of entities that might be interested in continuing down that path, whether they're uh, wine accrediting bodies, or even individual wineries, or, or you know, uh, brands, things like that, who who might be on the one hand certainly intrigued by continuing to develop online content, um, and especially things like classes where there's um, a little bit more of a cohesive uh, product as opposed to just you know, here's a. I mean, obviously, wineries have been putting out you know three minute glossy videos about their wines for for you know a decade or more, but but this idea that Okay, this has all been well and good, but at some point, hopefully, uh, you know, people will be vaccinated. The COVID will be not completely a, a non-factor, but will be much less uh, of a kind of all-consuming concern for people. And are people going to want to 
do online wine classes anymore. And and I, I'm curious to start with, you know, kind of in this area with, you know, is that something that, you know, do you, what do you think of that idea? You know, do you think that, that all of a sudden everyone's going to just kind of be like, nope, let's go out. <laughs> I'd be out of a job, Zach. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> fair. <laughs> but still, yeah. No, I think that they're here to stay. But I think once COVID is uh, wrestled to the ground, there'll be a hybrid model. I don't think we can unremember the the advantages that we've talked about with online courses. And I think they can be such a strong partner beyond a supplement. I think they can be an equal partner to in-person tastings. So for the people you can't reach or who can't travel or who need that flexibility, the way you can reach them is through these online efforts. And maybe you're working in tandem so that your first, your intro course is online, but your advanced students really want to meet in person. Um, I think there's all kinds of, of ways to do it. What um, wineries, ha- some wineries have done when their tasting rooms were open but limited capacity is they were starting to treat it like a restaurant experience where you had to make reservations and it was smaller groups, more personal service, which is really nifty. And I think, I think just as they might like to continue that uh, as opposed to just the crowded bar scene at the tasting bar, I think the online class experience can be a really natural hybrid partner with the in-person. Gotcha. And I'm wondering, you know, in that idea of a hybrid model, um, you know, one of the, one of the things I've seen and noticed and just in the challenge of, um, of educating online is for, is, is not just the sort of practical consideration of, you know, you in an online, a purely online setting, if people are tasting wine, you have to, everyone has to have the wine. And that's actually less of a, or more of a challenge than you think uh, for the <laughs> listener who hasn't really thought this through, because, you know, in a, in a normal in-person course, each person or each, you know, couple or whatever, isn't getting a bottle of each wine, okay. but often to make that work in an online setting, you kind of have to do that. And furthermore, at least, you know, here in the U.S., there's also the challenge of if you have people in different states, there's going to be very different access to certain wines or you end up picking wines that are very, very broadly available, but might be kind of less exciting for that fact. So so I think that there's some way in which you're right, that, that a model where people are some amount of tasting is happening in person just to control costs and things like that is is possible is is desirable. But you're but you know, also giving people some kind of space. I'm wondering though, too, if what you could C is almost more of um I'm going to say it this way and I, I don't mean it in a there's not a, it's not meant hierarchically but but like a tiered system where some people are engaging with the content in a purely remote online fashion and maybe some people with um more time or more easy access to to wherever the class is being held are doing it in person is that is that something you would in, in, expect to see or or does that feel too you know too you know segregated I guess it could be. It's it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds. But I would love to see more intermeshing of the two. Like, so say you they have an in-person tasting at the winery or the restaurant, record it so that, you know, your other club members or your restaurant clients can watch it online. Um, I, I would just hope that they can interweave the two and, and get... Because the goal is, right, stronger connections with your customers or your readers or your listeners or whatever it is. You want multiple touch points, kind of like what uh, Jeff Bezos of Amazon calls the flywheel. You need to have multiple touch points 
with your customers if you're going to keep them in your circle. So, you know, in, in my case, you know, I've published a couple books. I have the podcast, the courses, mobile apps, and a website. So, you know, they may come in through one door, but I hope to keep them in my home, if you will, through other means of engaging them. And I, I'd love to see that that uh, happen with the intermeshing of online and in-person classes and tastings. Gotcha. And and I'm curious, this is going to be a little bit of a departure from, from the topic about uh, of specifically online education, but I'm curious too, um, is your sense that, or maybe it's related to online education, I don't know, we'll see. Uh, is your sense that what people are looking to get out of wine education has changed? Or is it still the same thing that it's been at least since you got started? I think some of the fundamental goals are still the same. So for consumers, it's often a deeper appreciation to enjoy wine more, enjoy life more, socialize even online. And for the professionals, because I do have quite a few sommeliers and and, uh, winery staff who take my course, it's to get more of the credentials, the skill training for their job. So because I focus on food and wine pairing, they tend to take that because it's not covered in great depth in a lot of the formal accreditation programs. So I still see those sort of two tracks, two goals, um, fundamentally the same. But I think, you know, in the, t- in the time of COVID, people are just looking for some sort of micro mastery or, or something to break the tedium um, to, to use their time wisely, I guess. And, and also, I don't know if you've heard the stats lately, Zach, but you know, wine consumption, alcohol consumption is on the rise um, with COVID. And I know that um, I've talked about this openly in the past, but a lot of some students too are looking for a way to find moderation through appreciation. Um, and I, I welcome that too, because I, I really think that's an important aspect of what we can do when we educate about wine is not just the pleasure, but um, helping people understand it more. Because I, I, I just have this fundamental belief that what you love, know, and understand, you don't abuse. Well, let's let's leave it with one question that I just want your take on, which is, uh, what lately have you had that you really like wine wise? Oh my goodness. So curveball. Sorry. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> is it cliche at this point to say to even indicate that you like Pinot Noir anymore? <laughs> yeah. It's okay. Cliches are cliches often for a reason. I think that's fair. There you go. Well, I love the hedonism of Pinot Noir, you know, so you get packed with flavor, but you're not asleep on the sofa at seven. So I like quite a few. I'm I'm pretty promiscuous when it comes to Pinot Noir. So, you know, I, I love cool climate California Pinot Noir. Um of course, I'm here in Ontario, so I love uh, those from the Niagara and Prince Edward County. Um, but, you know, I, I equally love German Pinot Noir. So, um, yeah, I've been loving that lately. Excellent. Well, Natalie, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it and, and your insight uh, into um into the sort of wine education space online. Uh, we'll put the link to Natalie's website in the show notes here. If you folks are interested in checking out, she's got quite a lot of content uh, that you can take a look at if you're interested in. And uh, again, Natalie, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Hey, Zach, this was really fun. I hope we get to chat again and uh, I've got to get you on my podcast. We can arrange that. All right. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair's tasting director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.